Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your pods, not just for me, but for Fish Stripes Unfiltered every couple of weeks, for Big Fish Small Pod with Daniel Rodriguez and Andrew Werdahl every other weekday, aside from this one on Mondays that I handle myself. Check out all of our social media offerings from Twitter to Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube. Just search Fish Stripes on any of those platforms and you'll find us. Little bits of exclusive content on each of those, so be sure to support us there. Give us your feedback there. So what you'd like to see us covering in terms of all things Marlins and the main website, the mothership that you should have bookmarked all year round, fishstripes.com. Go to fishstripes.com. There is this nasty habit that people have when their team falls out of playoff contention to say the season's over, something along those lines. And even when that happens, I feel it's hyperbole. It's an exaggeration. Even as fans, fans are the ones that feel most emotional about that. But I'd say for players, for the fans themselves, for the media, selfishly, the rest of the season always has immensely interesting things going on. It's not necessarily as fun if you're out of contention, but it's still essential to following the progress of the team for the development of these players, getting as much information as possible for future seasons. I'm speaking to you on June 6th. It is not even two full months into the Marlins year. I would say that their playoff contention aspirations for 2022 are over. The season is not over. It's just reached a point where the decision makers in charge of the Marlins need to change their priorities. They were focused on being a contender in 2022, making a big leap from 95 losses last year toward being right in the mix this year. And it turns out, that leap was just too far, and they're not going to be able to do it. It's obvious to me at this time, even though we're not even two months into the year. This whole episode, breaking a little bit with the usual Monday format, just to explain to you you know, how I arrived at this place, why well, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, why well, I think we have to accept this reality. 
uh, going through exactly what that means. You know, what are the changes that I want to see moving forward? Why, why this means anything different from just, you know, playing out the string as you normally would um, under World Series aspirations and hopes. And then also at the end, just going through all the ways that I could be wrong. You know, that is why they play the games with 110 games to go. I could be wrong. There are always, not always, there are occasionally very astounding in-season turnarounds that happen, and it'd be silly for me to guarantee that's not going to happen in this case. We'll find out. So at the other side of this break, going into all of that, stick with us. The easiest place to start is just looking at the standings. It's pretty basic, but it is pretty revealing at this point. We are 52 games into the Marlins season. They've actually played fewer games than most other teams so far, and they have the 12th best record in the National League. Another way of looking at it is they have the fourth worst record in the National League. 15 teams in the NL, and they are fourth from the bottom, ahead of only the Cincinnati Reds. You've heard, of course, about their historically disastrous start to the season and the egregious cost-cutting that they did coming into the year. The Marlins are ahead of the Washington Nationals. They are not the worst team in the division. For the second straight year, they are going to finish ahead of the Nationals. Actually, the third straight year, they're going to finish ahead of the Nationals in the division. The Nats are pretty terrible. They've had bad injury luck. They've they traded away so many of their veteran players last summer. They are very bad. And they're also, the Marlins, just percentage points, I think half a game ahead of the Cubs. The Cubs, very similar boat to the Nationals. They went very, they leaned hard into a rebuild last summer. Not quite ready yet to build build themselves out of it to this point. So I think at the very least, it is safe to assume that the Marlins are going to remain in the top 12 in the National League this entire season. Tiny problem is the playoff format. The playoff format does not accept 12 teams. It accepts half that many. Even being expanded from where it used to be, it's only six National League teams, the three division winners, the three wildcard teams. This playoff change, I emphasized it entering this year, like how important it was that they were getting that extra wildcard spot in the league and how much of a difference that made. How the Marlins teams that frustrated us in the mid-2010s, in 2016 and 2017 especially, like those teams could have snuck into the playoffs under this format with that extra team. It's possible to make it in even without a winning record, depending on how things play out in particular. Unfortunately for the Marlins and this year in 2022, the National League is pretty top-heavy. There are, I, I count seven teams that I think are pretty dramatically better than the Marlins. It begins with the Mets and the Dodgers. They are 1-2. We'll get into them a little bit more in a moment. And the Brewers, for the moment, still leading the National League Central. Them and the Cardinals are kind of tossing back and forth. So that's four with the Mets, Dodgers, Brewers, and Cardinals. Those are all really well-rounded teams. You could pick the the Brewers, I would say, the most vulnerable of those because of um, some offensive limitations and some pitching injuries. But those are four teams that... It's very difficult to imagine the Marlins finishing even close to them in the standings. And so then you have the San Diego Padres. They're in a very interesting spot. They've been without Fernando Tatis, and I've been without Fernando Tatis Jr. on my fantasy team this year so far, and yet they're at 33-21. in 21. So they're in the first wildcard spot at the moment behind the Dodgers, a really deep team as well, heavily invested in 
run by a front office and AJ Preller that is going to be aggressive at the deadline and continue buying. They're going to keep their foot on the pedal, especially after last year's humiliating second half collapse. I, I think there's a clear difference between them and like the Dodgers and the Mets, but they are, they're going to be pretty significantly above 500, no matter what, in my opinion. And then the St. Louis Cardinals, for the moment, are right there. Uh, I mentioned the Cardinals already, so also the Giants. So the Giants would be the sixth team in here. For the moment, they hold on to the bottom wild card spot. They beat the Marlins head-to-head this year in four out of seven games. A lot of close games between them and the Giants. A team that won 107 last year, and they're not nearly as good as they were last year. They are more vulnerable. They're just a really smart, innovative organization at this point. They have rapidly climbed up that list of teams that squeeze the most they could possibly get out of their players, where the sum is always greater than the parts with them. They, they're just a really clever organization, and like many of these teams, they have a much bigger budget than the Marlins in terms of payroll to get away with even the bad decisions that they make. It's it's hard to imagine them slipping any further than the Marlins are to this point. Just to like give you an idea of the discrepancy between these teams in the standings, the Mets are, do I have this right, 13 games ahead of the Marlins at this point? 13. Wow. And, um, yeah, the Dodgers right behind them, the Brewers and Padres and Cardinals right behind them. Then there's the Giants. The Giants are up by six and a half over the Marlins. That is the closest wild card spot is six and a half games, but it's also six teams because there's a bunch of teams, as I said up top, that are between the Marlins and those wild card teams. And really the seventh team in here that makes it seem super unlikely is the reigning World Series champions. It's the Atlanta Braves. The Braves have finally gotten hot. They've won five straight to go back over 500. They are four and a half games ahead of the Marlins because they're division rivals. There's still quite a few head-to-head matchups between them. I don't know how much good that is going to do for a Braves team. That I mean, they have every incentive to be aggressive uh, this year and to continue adding outside talent if that's what it means to stay afloat and stay in this. They are right in the middle of Ronald Acuna Jr.'s prime, Matt Olson's prime. Um, they, they're they're not a perfect team. They have rotation questions, I'd say. Um, some of the, they have particular lineup spots that have given them like zero offensive production. They just have a, a lot of star power and. They do the little things well. They are still a pretty deep organization in terms of the next man up to fill rotation holes in their bullpen and just called up Michael Harris Jr., one of the top prospects in baseball, to shore up their center field defense. They're not a perfect team, um, but they're a lot better than the Marlins are. So I'm not going to go through every other team as well. I'm just saying that if you're talking about if you're holding out hope for the Marlins, if you're being optimistic and hopeful, which of those seven teams, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Brewers, the Padres, the Cardinals, the Giants, the Braves, which of those seven teams are the Marlins going to zoom past? And then tell me which second team in that group they're going to zoom past. It needs to be two of those. Forget about everybody else. They need to get through at least two of those teams that are... By by all accounts, just better than 
the Marlins are to this point. We're still early in the year, but yet this deficit is deep enough that I don't see the path towards making up all those games against those superior teams that have you know every incentive to be good. So as a final mention about those records, so the Giants five games over 500 at 29 and 24. That's the closest wild card spot, and then the Braves one game over 500. There have been some years where being the sixth best team in the National League. You can actually do that without being over 500. This does not seem like it's going to be the year. It'd be take quite a uh, misfortune for several of these contenders in order for for the bar to be lowered that much. In the American League, meanwhile, the final wild card spot is the Red Sox at exactly 500. If if you switched the Marlins into the American League right now, then I think I'd feel differently. I, I probably wouldn't have reached this breaking point yet understanding the context and who they actually have to overtake in order to contend, um, I think it's undeniable that it's just too much of a hole to dig out of. Much has been said about the run differential of this team. You know, despite a 22-30 and 30 overall record, they have a positive run differential. It's at plus seven as of this recording. The problem is we went through this exact same song and dance last year, didn't we? When they were in the positives for a lot of the first half of the season in terms of run differential. So the question was, is their luck going to even out and you know make bring that those wins closer to the run differential? Or is that run differential misleading and is it gonna come down and meet the record somewhere in the middle? Last year you know exactly what happened. It just came down. They did not improve whatsoever from June onward after uh, being mediocre the first couple months of the season. I think we're heading in that same uh, direction again. It's not a total coincidence that they've gone through this a second straight year. Just like last year, There's um, you can point to a lot of the same roster issues with the offense being hit or miss, even though it's a much better offense overall than it was in 2021, with the high-leverage bullpen innings being unsettled. We're two months into the year and have no clue who the closer is on this roster. Um, Outside of Anthony Bass, there has been just a lot of inconsistency from that entire unit, unit that they decided they didn't want to invest a ton of money or resources in over the offseason, they have the awkward outfield alignment without investing in a conventional center fielder as well. We, we've seen especially lately how much that has hurt them defensively, and they're not getting enough offense from the corner spots to make up for it. Jorge Soler, a tick below expectations, and Avisael Garcia, I guess we'll get into him more in a bit, just unrecognizable how bad he has been. I know Craig Mish is on the same boat with me with that. How even for a guy that has had an inconsistent career, he the things that he that used to make him, you know, valuable, you know, like keep him afloat, you know, the caring traits that he used to have, his offensive profile is different and worse this year. It's difficult to see that being salvaged to this point, barring what whatever crazy events put him in this space to begin with that is so undesirable and you could read Ethan Badowski our fish stripes alum on just baseball he kind of went into this as well pointing to the several areas of the team that are holding them back including their poor situational hitting 
all, all the reasons why this is bringing us deja vu towards last year in terms of um, like the fact that there are reasons why they lose all these close games just because they've been, quote, underperforming to this point doesn't mean it will all even out. And the main reason why is when we look to the specifics of their upcoming schedule. So we're recording this on a rare off day. There's only going to be two more of those between now and the All-Star break. So if you feel like this is too early to be talking gloom and doom, the All-Star break is not too early. So that is six weeks away, and the Marlins will play 39 games over the next 41 days. Two off days in six weeks for this team coming up. What does that mean? That means the games are going to be coming quicker than we're expected to. That means six weeks of baseball that we normally think of is going to be actually, it's going to feel like a lot more baseball in that time. It's going to be nearly as many games between now and the All-Star break that they've already played to this point. So they played 52, you have 39 between now and the All-Star break. And that 39 is going to come with minimal rest time, a lot of travel, and without several key players. Right now, Joey Wendell, Brian Anderson, two unequivocal bright spots for this Marlins team when they've been on the field this year. They're both on the injured list and to this point have not even started their rehab assignments to this point. So we don't know, you know, when they're going to get back. All you can tell is that they're going to miss a lot of this crucial upcoming road trip uh, that the team has for sure. If you're not even on a rehab assignment for Wendell, he aggravated his hamstring injury, re-aggravated it. Brian Anderson dealing with a back issue as well. So they're out. Instead, you're relying on Luke Williams and Williams Astadio with with John Birdie being forced into like a true everyday role. That's a step down. Those, those The talent level is different, and therefore the production over a considerable sample will be different. Even though those aren't super long-term injuries for a team right now that I mean, I can't emphasize this enough. They're just so far back and behind so many teams. They need to be a consistently good team from here on out in order to um, to contend. It, they're doing it now without a couple crucial offensive pieces. Also on the pitching side, Jesus Lazardo. A lot of excitement about him entering the season, and he mostly validated that hype during the first month and a half, dealing with a forearm strain at this point, the Marlins downplayed the severity of the injury. They were either wrong or they were lying about the injury. He has, as of this recording, still not been throwing. He hasn't begun throwing. Once he does, he'll have to build up to be a starter again. He's going to be out for most of this upcoming stretch. That's the realistic best case scenario. No setbacks if he starts throwing right as I put down the microphone. It's going to take him the better part of four weeks to be back up to joining the rotation again. And that during that four weeks, they're going to play 26 games or so, 27 games, make five or so turns of the rotation without him. And we've seen how that has gone already. Um, not so great over these past couple of weeks without him. And Cody Poteet, to a lesser extent, we know how good he was in the bullpen. At the very least, um, he's a serviceable spot starter. And there's no substantial update on his condition either. So that's that's another loss that they're dealing with. To this point, I think you look across all of baseball, this is kind of like an average injury situation. We were, we were talking early on in the season about how they were fortunate health-wise, and now they're kind of like the middle of the pack. 
nothing too extraordinary, but it's a team that really needed to be lucky with the injury situation in order to live up to some of the expectations that the team was putting on itself. So what else does this upcoming schedule mean, this condensed schedule? It means more of Pablo Lopez on regular rest. This is something I've been harping on entering the year about Pablo and how he had pretty stark splits in his career, performing excellently when he had five or more days of rest, at least six total days in between starts, and the difference between when he had to pitch on, quote, regular rest, with only four days of rest in between his starts, five total, separating his outings. And um, to this point this year, um, it, it hasn't been a glaring issue. He has like a four ERA on regular rest, and he is an astonishing 1.3 ERA when he has extra rest. I just, wow. He's, it's still there. It's still a disparity. It's not as extreme as it used to be in his previous seasons, but still kind of hard to refute. I think realistically, if he's forced to pitch most of these upcoming outings on regular rest, um, that's, that's kind of where his numbers are going to start to come back down to earth. You know, as of this recording, he is like on a surefire all-star trajectory, if not even better than that. I'm not going to Talk about Cy Young. People love to bring Cy Young into the equation at the earliest possible moment. I'll say that this is by far the best he has ever been. This is shaping up to be a career year for him. That doesn't mean he's going to keep up a, a 2.18 ERA and one base runner per inning and average six innings per start all at the same time if he's not afforded that extra rest that often comes during other portions of the major league schedule. And, and the final thing is on Jazz. Jazz Chisholm Jr. We've spoken a lot about Jazz, how absolutely outstanding he was for that first quarter of the season. He didn't suffer the same scary-looking injury that he did the previous year, but he did miss that whole week with a hamstring tightness situation. And unfortunately, very much like in 2021, since he's come back from that injury, there's been this slump. And he had to sit against a right-handed pitcher on Sunday, and I didn't even disagree with it because he's been looking really bad at the plate since coming back to that injury. It, it has brought him you know, back down to earth a little bit. He was... There's, there's not enough superlatives for the kind of way that he was playing early on the year as a hitter, as a base runner, as a fielder. I do believe that he is really at the top of the scale in terms of base running at this point, and not far behind as a second baseman as well. His defense has been even better this year now that he's been able to focus only on playing second base. And I think the power is still going to be there quite a bit. Um, any, any way you slice it, he is an improved player over last year. The, the thing is that he needed to be uh, Mr. Everything for this team to go on the winning streak that they did uh, towards the end of April. I don't think that's a realistic situation for him. There are still enough issues with his approach and sometimes with his intangibles. It's hard to put a right word on it. You know, the Marlins like to attribute it to his focus. Uh, whatever you want to say, you know, it, it does seem like there are certain situations where he is not as locked in as he needs to be. 
and the results in those plate appearances are are worse than they should be, and it drags down his overall production. Even though he continues to be good in clutch situations, you're not going to get into many clutch situations if your team is trailing by big margins, as they have been uh, a little bit more recently than they were earlier in the year. As I'm recording this, he has a 127 weighted runs created plus, 100 is league average. I'm, I'll tell you now that if he finishes the year at 127, you should be doing cartwheels because with everything else that he does as a player, that would that would make him a a really far above average regular, a four win player, maybe even four and a half. Like that would make him one of the better everyday players that they've had since the rebuild started. That'd put him like in the same conversation as Starling Marte. Um, that's that's what the realistic best case scenario is for his season, in my opinion is that he goes on and just sustains the overall numbers he has right now. The concern is that it's a repeat of last year, where last year got off to that amazing start. Once he got back from that first injury scare, um, he was very rarely that same impactful player. There was, There's always plenty of moments that he reminds you how special he is, but you know, by the time last year ended, he was in the 90s with his WRC+. Plus. And he just, he fell short of 20 home runs, which seems unbelievable for somebody with his swing and especially this year with how he's pulling the ball. So I think he is an improved player. It's just that the way that this team was constructed, they were relying on him to be so much more than that. To close this out, let's have some fun and just go through the particular things that need to go the right way for this season to be salvaged from a playoff contention standpoint. Recording this where their Marlins are 22 and 30, their playoff odds, according to Fangraphs, 5.7%. That's it. 5.7. Tiny. What do they have to do to somehow prove me wrong and go on a run, get to 83, 84 wins that which looks like that will be around the threshold they need to sneak in as a wild card team. It starts with Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez. They need to be injury free. Their combination of the length that they provide and the damage control that they do, they are, I I have no doubts about them being great pitchers when healthy, if they can stay healthy. Now, Sandy, he has been blessed throughout his career he has never had an arm injury, it seems like. So if that keeps up, you know, that's a guy that I think you can put your unequivocal trust in. Maybe. You know, but you never know with pitchers. You truly never know. Everything is fine until it isn't with them. But Pablo, we've seen it year after year after year that something goes wrong with his shoulder at some point during the year and it takes out a big chunk of his season. Is this the year where Pablo is injury-free, where he's able to make literally 32 starts? That's what's going to take. Is it 65 combined starts between Sandy and Pablo this year? That's going to be the most crucial thing that will need to happen for this Marlins team in order to legitimately make a run. And close behind that is Jazz. I just mentioned him about the concerns about just the limitations that he has as a player, not being able to, um, not expecting him to be a MVP caliber player. 
if he somehow is, if he goes back to that April and early May form where he was OPSing right around 1,000, where he was at the top of the war leaderboard, he was doing it all. He was doing it in the most important situations. If that clutch habit that he has sustains itself and uh, goes without saying he needs to stay relatively healthy too, then that would be huge. That would be massive to have a guy at the top of your lineup batting four and a half, five times every single game, pretty much, except against some select lefties. If you get another 100 games, let's say, of Jazz from here on out, and he's playing at that level, then that's several more wins that I would not expect them to get that maybe they do. And this is the one that's also pretty crucial, and I think the most difficult to... um, to offer any helpful commentary on, it's Avaseo Garcia and Trevor Rogers. Those two are in their own category of perplexing struggles this year, with Garcia really being one of the very worst everyday players in baseball, especially offensively, um, and yet continuing to be put in the lineup every day near the middle of the lineup. I can't believe that we're two months into this and he's still batting fifth. Um, that's what he has to do, especially when Wendell and B.A. are injured. They, do, they don't have a ton of lineup depth, but those guys being injured at the moment, he, he's just going to have to hit. He, he's just going to have to make better swing decisions, and he's going to have to continue to use all fields, not just pull the ball too much, not, not just hit another ground ball to third base. He leads the league, it seems, in grounding the ball to third base. So that's going to need to change with Trevor as amazing as he was early last year, we had a pretty big sample uh, after, during the second half of the year, um, after his personal leave from the team, where it showed that there were just still more to develop here, more limitations. And this year, he has not been getting the swings and misses that he needs to get from his secondary pitches. His fastball command has not been what it needs to be to set up those secondary pitches. And the overall summation with him is that he's not working deep into games at all that they're going to need more length from him to put this bullpen in the position to be successful so as of this recording his era is in the high fives and you're going to need to get that down in around four by the end of the year down to four with more length in those outings in order to shore up the middle of this rotation behind sandy and pablo uh, some other miscellaneous things, both Miguel Rojas and Jacob Stallings got off to super slow starts offensively. They do have pretty decent track records. Uh, like, it would not be a total shock if Stallings and Rojas both hit around league average, 100 WRC plus for the rest of the year, you know, finished slightly below average. They're older players, but not ancient. There's something left in the tank. They do a lot of the little things well with their plate approach, the way they use the whole field. That's something that could happen and go the team's way. The, the bullpen, if they're refreshed, if Sandy and Pablo continue to work deep into games and Trevor is somewhere in between first half 2021 Trevor and the guy we've seen since then, if he's right in the middle of that and at least giving them five and a third, five and two thirds, six innings in most of his outings, the bullpen is going to perform better. Um, this bullpen is not terrible. I think they're still below average. They could be better than they have been if they're put in the right situations to do it. So there's that. Um, 
I think Jesus Sanchez kind of is what he is. You could get a little bit more offensive production from him uh, moving forward than you have to this point in the season. Um, I think that's enough, though. Like, if they hit on all of those things with all those players that I just mentioned, I think that, that gets it done. Again, my concerns are the fact that they are missing some key role players, depth pieces right now, and it might be too late, you know. There's just there's going to be that big drop off where you're just not going to string together consistent wins that much. If for the moment, if you're only have two reliable starters, there are going to be some series where both Sandy and Pablo face the same opponent and the Marlins win the series. Magic. It's, it's not that complicated. If you had them pitching together in every series the rest of the season, then this team could go on a run. As it turns out, they are split up. That's right. So it's going to be Sandy. They're probably going to win the series against the Nationals that's coming up right after this. That would be only their second series win since the start of May. Ten series they've played since the start of May, and they have won one of them to this point. And that one win was also against this Nationals team, and it was also at Lone Depot Park. If the only series you're winning are at home against a rebuilding team, there's just no reason to believe there's any sort of big run coming up here. This is a team that has to win far more than half of their games the rest of the season. They're going to have to flirt near a 600 winning percentage from here on out in order to get one of those wild card spots. I can't see a path to that happening realistically for all the reasons that have been mentioned uh, earlier in the show. So what does that mean? You know, if the front office, for whatever reason, had the same... Um, grasp of the situation as I did what would they do differently as opposed to just going on autopilot the way that they have been to this point in the season I think they should move pretty quickly in terms of being a seller on the trade market selectively in certain cases um, with the relievers we've gone through this in 2018 remember where they held on to hot performing relievers through the deadline for no apparent reason just because they had extra years of control with this team, if guys get hot over these next two months, we've seen it before where relievers get off to uninspiring starts to the season, but then it's all forgotten if in June and July they get into a groove. Whether it's Anthony Bass, whether it's the two guys they just traded for, Tanner Scott and Cole Solser, who else do we have that actually has potential for that? I mean, Stephen Okert. Stephen Okert's been great this year, and he still has several years of team control as well. They need to be willing to part with uh, these relievers especially if they're performing great and you could get something substantial in return. Of course, last year they sold a pending free agent in Yimi Garcia and we were able to get Brian De La Cruz. Um, that might be kind of the best case scenario for trading a rental reliever when you have guys that have actual multiple years of control. Even Bass has a team option to act to the end of his deal. Uh, you can apply yourself, do your due diligence with the exact type of player you want in return, and come out ahead in that transaction in the very near future. So that's, that's kind of the first thing with the relievers. I've, I've been harping on this a while about the first base situation that's getting even more crowded as we get deeper into the year with the emergence, the re-emergence of Gerard Encarnacion with the torrid hot streak that Troy Johnson has been on. I have a, an article going into more about Troy Johnson as well. There's only so many players that you need on a roster to play first base. It's a position that is generally pretty easily replaceable going outside your organization 
at a time. The Marlins perplexed me by holding on to both Cooper and Aguilar entering this year. Cooper has validated that he's in the midst of a career year. I think he's a very compelling sell-high option during a year where highest WRC plus of his career hasn't been injured yet. As In terms of Aggie, this is the last chance to get anything in return for him if they decide to deal him as well. And really more so than worrying about what you get in return for those guys, it's about just opening up the playing time and finding out what you have in those other depth options in Lewin, Diaz, and Encarnacion, or even Johnston. Like, pick, pick pick two, pick at least one. That's all I'm asking. Pick one of those guys to play regularly here on out and figure out what you have. All of them have so much long-term control beyond this year um, that had, like, finding out for sure that they're at least league average hitters, um, that would be huge. That'd be huge for this team if they're able to identify one other homegrown slugger that is affordable, and that is controllable for the foreseeable future. That needs to happen. That needs to happen even if they go on a quick little hot streak at some point this year. Bring one of those guys up at uh, the very least and figure out what you have there. What else do I want to see, assuming that they're out of it? Um, I mean, they have the balls to move Avasiel Garcia down in the order at the very least. Uh, They should do it. They should do it and get as many plate appearances as possible uh, among the guys that you still need to um, find out stuff about. You know, they are stuck with Garcia, at least for all of this year and next year, until even thinking about finding an escape route with him or just, you know, hoping that he cracks back into the version of himself that they thought they were getting in the first place. But simply moving around that lineup to get as many plate appearances as you can for those other players that are more questionable, whether it's even um, anybody, really anybody, get them up to the plate because those are the ones that don't have long-term contracts and you need to make tricky uh, decisions on. And I mean, this goes along with, of course, trading the relievers. You also want to find out exactly how to utilize all the arms that you have in this organization. We've been talking now for, it seems like three and a half years about this amazing um, bounty, this amazing reservoir this amazing collection of arms that the marlins have in their organization and yet you look up at the team performance and it's you know they're not really a special pitching team at this point of the season so why isn't that happening to this point you know some of it has been injuries um even though we've seen sandy and pablo kind of merge as the best versions of themselves it's going to take more than those two guys to put together an elite pitching staff For so long, people have been forecasting the Marlins to have an elite pitching staff. Where is it? Where is it? A lot of it is at AAA or on the injured list right now. You need to find out exactly which of these guys are part of that solution, who's going to fill out the rotation, which of those guys potentially are going to slot in as relievers and upgrade that portion of the team. I don't think you'd be too heartbroken about trailing the current relievers you have because very few of them have any real swing and miss ability. None of them are showing themselves to be a conventional closer type. So give the young kids a shot. Whether it's, this is a really deep dig, but George Soriano, who we've seen is now focusing on relief work. Whether it's even Max Meyer coming back from his minor injury, he needs to be in the big leagues one way or another. Um, 
but we've been talking about a while, going back to the draft, about how he is somebody that could thrive in a high leverage relief role if needed. There are so many others to go through, both on and off the 40-man roster. Maybe Zach McCambly by the end of the year. Sixto Sanchez, you know I can't quit him. He's finally throwing off the mound again. Eventually, you know, assuming no setbacks, that's a big assumption, you want to see him in the big leagues and find out exactly what role is best for him in order to try to put this shoulder injury in the rearview mirror as well. It's a big collection of arms from from Brian Hoeing. Uh, Robert Garcia is having a really big year after being a minor league Rule 5 draft pick. Uh, Jeff Brigham. Jeff Brigham, I was excited about him, and he's finally kind of back to being a big swing and miss option down in AAA Jacksonville as well. I think Yuri Perez is probably going to wait until 2023. You know, that's a reason why I'm still excited about next year for sure is because he more so than anybody else. Like he is the crown jewel of the farm system. And I don't think they're going to rush him up at the end of this year, nor should they. It's an enviable collection of arms. You need to figure out the best way to put them together. It's it's there really should not be any more excuses for why this team is a middling pitching team overall. Like they this is what they spent years doing is putting themselves in position to have an elite pitching staff that was going to be able to make up for a lot of other deficiencies. So let's see it. That's what I want to see by the end of this year. I want this team to go into the offseason and feel like, yeah, yeah, this is the thing that we're, that is ready. This is the portion of our team that is going to be in place and help them run the middle of the 2020s. This is the thing that is going to be the foundation for them to emerge as a consistent contender in a way that they really have not been before in franchise history for any semblance of time. I've been Eli Sussman here on The Official Show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember to rate and review the pod wherever applicable. As we move on, um, the plan is to go pretty deep into all the potential trade possibilities heading up to what is going to be an August 2nd deadline. My, my thinking right now is kind of go, to go one at a time through key players on the team that I think would be best suited to go on the move. Look forward to that. Always open to your ideas about exactly how to handle this middle portion of the year. 110 games to go and dozens and dozens of episodes of the official show to go between now and the end of the year. Be sure to check out fishstripes.com. Tune in to Tuesday's edition of Fish Stripes Live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just enjoy all of our coverage from myself and the big staff of contributors as we cover the Marlins the unique way that we do, and we appreciate all the support that we get from you. Thanks as always, and go fish. Go fish.